Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I am joined once again by Todd Myers from the Washington Policy Center, who has a great new article out talking about coronavirus. Now, it's not what you'd expect. It actually shows that it seems that there is a correlation between the increase in cases and the protests that have been going on across our nation and in our city. So, Todd, can you tell us exactly what you found out? So, sure. So, I was interested to see if there was, as you say, a correlation between the protests and um, increased cases in King County. Because what we see is, is that, so the state relies on a group called the Institute for Disease Modeling, IDM, and what they calculate is a number called RE or R naught. And that simply says, how many transmissions are you seeing per person at this period of time? So a number of one means that for every one person who has COVID, one more person is getting COVID. They're giving one more person. If the number is less than one, that's good because it means gradually fewer and fewer people are getting it. If it's above one, that's really bad because what that means is the cases are too long. So they calculate this as a tool to make policy. And what I noticed was is that in Eastern Washington in mid-June, there the RE or the R naught number was basically flat. But in King County, it spiked up from one to 1 1.7 very sh in a very short period of time. And then it happened to be at the exact same time as the protests were occurring. So I looked at the data to see whether this was the case, whether this, there could be a relation. And it seemed to me that the answer is yes, because the alternative explanations didn't fit. So one of the things that IDM mentions is, is that mobility didn't increase during this period of time. So it wasn't that more people were going out to restaurants and things like that. Mobility was basically the same as it was um, the month before. The other thing is, is that they have a graph of what age group was getting COVID during that period of time. Early on, we saw that it was older people who were getting it. But in June, when the protests were occurring, it was centered around people who were 20 to 30 year old. So exactly the kinds of people you would expect to see at the protests. So that's what I argued. I laid out the data. Um, and what it shows is that a lot of the talk about how the protests didn't increase COVID, I think are simply incorrect. So to push back just a little bit on it, even though I, you know, I, it's not that I'm happy to see this. I'm, you know, it's more like, yeah, I've been saying it for a while. It's nice to have some scientific evidence to back it up. But I've noticed traffic in King County has been getting exponentially worse over the past few weeks since people said, oh, to hell with it. I'm going back to work or whatever the case may be. So did you do any investigation into people resuming their normal lives, any of that kind of stuff and how it might tie into this? Yes. So there's two ways to look at that. The first is IDM itself says that mobility didn't increase in June. So their own reports, the one that showed this big increase, say that mobility didn't increase. But we don't have to take their word for it. Apple actually puts out, you can go online and look for any city, the number of people who are requesting Apple Maps to get from one place to another, whether it's car, walking, or transit. And what you've seen since the beginning of the year is, is that it was going along fine. And then of course, when COVID hit, it crashed. I mean, it absolutely went down. And what's interesting is, is that that crash occurred before Governor Inslee did the shutdown. So people had self-quarantined before the governor said, you need to quarantine. Gradually, as you say, however, people have gotten used to it, tired of it, whatever. And the number and the mobility has come back up gradually but it got basically to the same level as it was in January in late May, early June, and has since basically leveled off. 
the trips are undoubtedly different. People are not commuting, right? They're probably taking more shorter trips, but the mobility level didn't change. So what you can do is you can look at that Apple database online and say, are people traveling? Are they, as you say, going out more than they were? Is that contributing to the spike? And there is, uh, there is no clear correlation between mobility and the increase uh, in the r not number. Gotcha. So the other thing that they've been talking about is a lot of college kids, high school kids, whoever hanging out with each other, and they're spreading it, and they're taking it home to their families. And yet they're contradicting that by saying, oh, kids don't spread it the way we thought they did. And there's all this confusing data. Have you looked into that at all? Have you seen any of that as part of your investigation? So I looked at that, but as you say, it's very confusing and it's hard to sort out. And I don't think people agree. So you have to look at surrogates. First, you just have to do sort of a, a test of, is this plausible? Because the because what you would expect when you see kids or, or other things, you know, gradually getting more comfortable is a gradual increase. What we That's not what we see with the transmission number. What we see is, is that it's flat and then all of a sudden it goes way up and then comes back down. So if you are gonna see people get more, that are people are getting more comfortable, you wouldn't see as rapid an increase and you also wouldn't see as rapid a decrease, right? It wouldn't be just that people decided for a period of two weeks to go visit friends and then decided not to do it anymore, uh, which is what the numbers would show. Uh, but again, you know, knowing whether it's young people or other things like that, we see that it is young people. We see that it is people from age 20 to 30 or 20 to 40, really, who, where we got the most cases in June. But that, like I said, the mobility does not increase. You would expect to see some indication of people moving, of traveling, that is different than before, and you just don't see it. So it's not a perfect answer to what you're looking for, but as a surrogate, you would expect to at least see something, and we see nothing. And what I'm interested by is I heard Inslee answer a question during, during a Q&A, Governor Inslee, say that they weren't asking people if they've been to a protest or not. And I find that absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, you ask people if they've been to church. We have to contact Trace at church and restaurants and everywhere else, but not at the protests, and it's just a free-for-all, and we see what's happening in the news. How, what do you plan on doing with this data? So you got it out in an article. Great. What's the next step? How do you push it out there? You guys did a great job of this when you exposed that they were over um, or they were inflating the COVID numbers. So what do you do now that you have this data in hand? I guess that's two questions. So what we have done is we've shared this with reporters. There are a couple of reporters who are interested. The governor has a couple of press conferences a week. And so a couple of reporters have said that they will ask him about this. My guess is that he will duck the question. But the, the key is not so much whether the protests caused more COVID. The key is what that says about how COVID is transmitted and what our policy should be. My personal opinion is I hope I'm wrong because if I'm wrong and the governor is right that the protests didn't cause an increase in transmission, what that means is, is that social distancing is not very important because you can have thousands of people literally shoulder to shoulder. People say, well, it's outside. It's fine, but you saw the, the, the photos, people are shoulder to shoulder. When you're that close, inside or outside, it shouldn't make a difference. But if you can have that many people and not have increased transmission, it means the masks are effective and that COVID is not, can't be as easily transmitted as we think. If that's true, as the governor says it's true, then frankly, we should open up baseball games. 
then the risk of opening up schools as long as people are masked is smaller. What it says is, is that the risk of transmission is smaller even in those very tight circumstances, as long as you do some simple, take some simple precautions. To your point, the fact that they're not even asking whether people are at protests indicates that there is a political motive. And that's what frustrated me and a lot of people. But the political motive I think is most obvious when they say, oh no, the protests were fine and didn't cause anything, but we can't do all of these other things where there is you know, more social distancing, where people are more able to control masks and other things like that. We can't open those, that's too dangerous, but protests are fine. That I think is where you see the dangerous part of this. And I think the irresponsible part of this, which is if they're right and I'm wrong, they're not acting, they're not following policies like they actually believe. And it doesn't seem like they've been doing that. I mean, you look at the schools of going back to schools and we're finding out overwhelmingly that the kids are not the ones transmitting this disease. And they're, you know, the death rates among kids, thank God, is really, really low. Not that the few kids that have died hasn't been a tragedy, but it seems like this really isn't affecting kids so much. So it's really weird that they aren't allowing the kids to go back to school. I'll tell you, I used your study the other day. We we're having a synagogue board meeting and they were discussing the different policies and they have that policy of people going to uh, big events and uh, they have this policy of people on airplanes. And I said, how about people protests? And, you know, all of a sudden there was like, they froze. And I said, here's the data right here. If you're going to do all this, all these policies for this, then you got to do that as well. So anybody who wants to read the data is clearly there for people to look at. It's really frustrating that they're not. And again, people can make arguments and there are good arguments about why it might not be the protests. So you can look at my data and say, Todd, I see that, but here are some confounding factors. It is difficult to disaggregate these numbers. Another thing I did is that I compared King County, Western Washington, to Eastern Washington. Like I said, you don't see the increase in Eastern Washington. So something is going on in King County, Western Washington that's not going on in Eastern Washington. Um, so that's an, just one more indicator. It is not definitive, but it's one more indicator um, that what we see is associated with the protests. But again, to your point, all we want is for people to say, okay, here's what we've learned from the protests, either transmitting or not transmitting COVID. And here are the policy options that we now have because of that. But that's not what we're doing. We're simply saying, oh, don't worry, the, tran the, the uh, protest didn't transmit COVID. It's all good. And then moving on because they don't like the policy implications of that, but they like the political implications of that, which is very different. Let me also say with the school thing, I didn't look at the school thing. That's, that's not an area that I've looked at. But let's say they're right. Let's say that it is a risk. And that may be true. I don't know. And I certainly understand some teachers being nervous, not wanting to get COVID. It's not a pleasant disease to have, right? I mean, nationwide, more than 100,000, 150,000 people have died either because of it or with it, okay? So it's not something to be glib about. But again, the policy implication is, okay, so what do we do for kids? If we aren't gonna open up schools, fine. Then how do we make sure that kids are getting a good education that we promised them? And the answer is to give them more options. And we're not doing that. <laughs> so that's, I think, the frustrating thing about the COVID policy and the implications are not matched by what the policy actions are. 
And the reason is politics won't allow it. And the cost is being paid both economically in education and a lot of other there's something that I've been advocating for is that, especially with my own kids' schools that are going through this, because you have the parents on one side, they're like, I'm not sending my kid back, and the kids on the other side uh, who have parents who are like, why the hell isn't my kid back in school? But something that I said was, you have all these college kids that can't go back to school. You have these kids that graduate that can't find jobs because of the economy. Why not hire them as proctors for the classroom? And the teachers that don't want to be in the classroom don't have to be. They could go on Zoom, and the proctors there helping out the kids or offering the assistance. It seems like, just like you said, nobody's following the data. They're doing whatever they want to do politically driven and not taking the policy and making it match the data or using the data to drive policy. And that's something that's just driving me nuts. One more anecdotal story for you. I went to a wedding last week. And what's interesting about the wedding is I think people have been so trained at this point that they know what to do. So at this wedding, there were about 100 people there or so. And it was in the middle of nowhere because they didn't want to have trouble with the authorities. But the people who wanted to socially distance could. They had tables of two set up all over the place. They had masks. They had everything. And all the people that flew in from the East Coast who think they're invincible because they already got this thing were all moshing together in the middle of the dance floor. And the rest of us were standing on the side going, I'm not going anywhere near that thing. I mean, you have a drink in your hand. The alcohol, you know, kills a little bit of it. But it seems that people are trained at this point to know what to do, what not to do. And then there's the people who go ahead and keep ignoring it, whether it's with large gatherings, whether it's with protests, whatever it is. And people just aren't following the actual data. They're following what their gut instinct is telling them. Yeah, because it's very confusing. And I, I don't, to be clear, I don't blame scientists or even politicians for struggling to deal with this, especially at the very beginning, because we just didn't know what we were dealing with. But I think that the challenge is, is that you have to be honest about what you know and what you don't know. And if people start to feel like you're lying to them for political purposes, that's when they go, to heck with you, I'm gonna do what I want because I know that you're not being honest with me. So when the governor says, oh no, no, the protest didn't do anything, but right, you can't, we're not gonna reopen these in these circumstances that are much safer, um, then people start to go, okay, you're playing a game here. Right? You're not being straight with me about what you know and what you don't know. You're just simply saying the word science 10 times and hoping people will shut up. But all he's really doing is creating cynicism. And that's what I think is a big problem. Dealing with this is serious. It is a serious and real problem. But if you don't deal with it in a serious and real way, then you're undermining your own efforts. And what you see is, is that at the beginning, when we sort of got control of it and the numbers went down, um, a lot of politicians in the state declared victory and said, look what a great job we did. Look how amazing we are at controlling this. But then when the numbers started going back up, the answer was, how come you are causing this? Right? So when it's success, it's always the politicians who did the success. But when it's failure, it's because the people are being disobedient. And I think that is really contributing to a sense of, I'm going to do what I want because I, you're not on my side. Right. The moving the goalpost is what drives me the most insane. Love your T-shirt, by the way. It's one of my Thank favorites. You. It's yeah. Sam the Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> I love that guy. So if people want to read your article, where can they find it? What's the website? Best place for them to view it. Go to WashingtonPolicy.org. Um, we update um, data analysis uh, on COVID and some other things. So I'm the environmental guy, but I do a lot of data and scientific analysis. Um, and so I started looking at this. And I saw some of the same sort of data and science manipulations with COVID 
that I see with the environment. So I started writing about this. Um, we have a in Washington Policy Center. Our healthcare policy expert is Dr. Stark, who's a retired heart surgeon. So we have you know people who really know healthcare inside and out. I just look at the statistics because, like I said, that's something I've done on the environment, and now I'm doing on this. So you can fire, find our writing on both COVID as a healthcare policy issue and the statistical element that I write about. Awesome. Todd Myers, thank you so much for being with us. We'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. 